One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning to you on this uh, Thursday. Hoping we find you all in great form. John Paul taking your calls. 1850-333-103. Texting and WhatsApp is available at 0862-103-103. We are going to speak on on the programme this morning about local property tax. And all of the papers today are picking up on local property tax and in particular picking up on the story that the government have decided that the review of the local property tax, which was due to take place in November of 2019, so November of this year, they've decided, no, we're going to wait a year and instead the review is going to take place November of next year, 2020. And that would mean that any increase in your property tax would not take effect until 2021. So I suppose there's a sigh of relief for a lot of people because a lot of people are expecting that the local property tax is going to increase because we pay local property tax based on the valuation of our houses. Our houses were valued in 2013. Now, between 2013 and 2019, property prices have risen but by how much and it depends on what area you're going to live in. And and it also is going to depend on what way the government are going to decide to rejiggle the local property tax. What way are they going to do the reviews? So at the moment, a lot of it is guesstimates. People are kind of guessing how much property tax is going to go up. And as I say, there's a lot of commentary in the paper today. I mean, the Irish Daily Mail, for example, they're homing in on the fact on the number of people who have never paid property tax. Now, this is legally, they don't have to pay property tax because these are people who bought new houses since 2013. And those new homeowners have never paid property tax. And obviously that number has been increasing year on year. And they reckon now it's at about 60,000 people have bought new homes since the tax was introduced in 2013 and they've escaped having to pay uh, the tax and they've been uh, exempt because obviously they missed out on the original valuation process uh, six years ago. So they are going to be a happy bunch of people because they were expecting that their first property tax bill or they would be expecting they were going to find out in November what their first property tax bill was going to be and they'd be paying it next year. So they certainly are getting away for another year, if not two years at at this stage. And then there's another, other commentators are looking at it and I was surprised to read uh, this, that they reckon the majority of those who will be hit with the steepest rise are people living in rural Ireland. And I would have thought that it would have been the people people living in Dublin and some of the examples that are being used are people whose houses are currently valued between 180,000 and 270,000 they could see their property tax bill jump by 135 euro per year whereas houses the majority of houses
houses in Dublin, which certainly have seen property prices uh, increase, they could see their property tax bill go up by €100. But if you're in a more rural area, your bill could go up by 135 as I say. At the moment, a lot of those figures, uh, people are just guessing them and we're going to have to wait and see. But people are being very cynical about the fact why have the government decided to hold off on the review until 2020, which means the increase won't take effect until 2021. Many people are saying that's because it pushes the increase out beyond the likely date of the next general election and then people are being very, very cynical about it. But we are going to discuss local property tax on the programme. Your thoughts and comments on local property tax at Welcomed. And here's a really interesting commentary in on it that kind of really sums up the frustration that people feel about local property tax and about other forms of taxation when it comes to buying or building a house. Hi says this uh, texter. This this government are robbing their own people instead of helping them in every way they can. Let me tell you our story. We recently got planning in a rural area as we can't afford to buy in a large town or indeed in a city, although this is where we both work. But now, after paying all the appropriate planning fees over and over again for three years to eventually get the planning with the exact plans we first submitted in 2015. In the meantime, we've had to pay an additional three years rent. Now we find out we have to donate €2,700 to the council for rural upgrades. For what? There's no lights in our area, footpaths, roads are falling apart. Plus, we will now also have to pay 22% VAT on all materials for the building of our house and we can't claim this back. So that's going to be another €22,000 that this government will get to keep from us all for building our house. So to build an ordinary house on your own ground, the government can get nearly €30,000 from from two first-time buyers who they say they're trying to help get on the property ladder. Then when you eventually finish guess what? They're going to put property tax on our house for the rest of our lives. Where does all this money go? Has things changed in any way from the days of the Sheriff of Nottingham taxing the people for every penny they have? Maybe we need a modern day Robin Hood. At least if you build a house in Northern Ireland, you get to claim your VAT back at the end of the job because it's rightfully your money. No wonder the United Kingdom want to leave the European Union. And although the UK have a property tax, this does include the cost of your bins, your water and other services. They also have free amenity sites for household waste. What do we get here for our property tax? And that's on top of another tax that they want to introduce. They reckon an extra €250 per year per house for uh, carbon tax. There's a very very angry person but when you see all of those figures in print you know a young couple I imagine trying to get onto the property ladder trying to build I mean would would ideally have loved to have bought in a town or city but obviously couldn't afford to do that in the lucky position that obviously a family member was able to give them a parcel of land to build but to be faced with all of those additional charges and I was unaware that if you build a house in Northern Ireland that you get to claim your VAT back that's a good system I mean there's you know there's a couple who are flat out working to get the money together 
to build their own house so that they're not going to be a burden on society and they end up with additional charges of 30,000 which is a lot of money when you're starting out to build a house and that's without adding in the additional three years rent that they've been forced to pay because of all the problems they've had with planning. How often have we heard of people having to resubmit and resubmit and of course there's planning fees obviously at every point and turn there's a charge for this and a charge for that when you're resubmitting uh, planning and then to see the galling part of that text to see that the they eventually got planning for the exact plans that they submitted the original plans they submitted in 2015 makes absolutely no sense at all and I suppose that can be explained away by it depends on the planner that took a look at the plans to somebody it's okay and obviously to somebody else it isn't very I sense and feel your frustration good luck with your uh, house built and then Anne on local property says tax says the local property tax is another way by the government to take money off us, the PAYE workers. I'm a senior citizen on the pension. After working all of my life, after paying a mortgage for over 30 years, I now have to pay this property tax on a house I own and I paid for myself. I don't see anything done in my area for the money that I'm handing over every year. I still have to pay into a local community fund to have the grass cut in our housing estate. We pay for that every year. By the way, I can't afford to have any house maintenance done because I'm living on the state pension. And to me, it's a miserly pension. I have to pay for everything out of that, including having to pay the local property tax. And that's, uh, um, thank you Anne for that. And that's what worries me when I see figures where they say it could be that some people's property tax will go up by €135 Euro a year. And that'll obviously be fixed in for another year, another few years. Then it'll keep going up and up, which was what was predicted, wasn't it, when the local property tax uh, was first introduced. It's in those taxes that'll just get higher and higher every year. €135 Euro per year to people who are working that have, you know, disposable in- income mightn't seem like a lot of money but to someone like Anne and others like Anne who are living on a fixed income who know exactly every week how much money they have at the end of the week very little left for luxuries people like that will have to come up with and work out how they're going to find another extra €135 Euro in order to pay whatever the additional will be for the local property tax. So it will, it really is going to sting and it is going to hurt a lot of people. So I think there will be a sigh of relief, even if, as some people are saying, it's a cynical reason as to why they're not introducing the increase in the property tax. I think there will be a sigh of relief by a lot of people. 1850 We're also going to try to find out what is going on at Cork University Hospital with this status black that was put in on Sunday evening. Now I'll get John Paul to check to see has that status black, has it cold black, has it been removed from the hospital and while that was going on we then towards the close of the programme yesterday heard that the University Hospital in Limerick which would be the other large hospital nearest here in Cork they set all new records for all the wrong reasons for the 
highest number of people on trolleys. We were told it was 81 and that was the number I called out just before the close of the programme yesterday. And then when I came off air, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, they do the trolley count. They said, oops, sorry, we made a mistake. There was an, another 11 trolleys that I don't know where they were. They were in an annex in the hospital or something and they didn't see them and therefore they didn't count those patients. So the extra 11 had to be added in. So the record of 81 was smashed and it went to 92 people on trolleys. That was going on while we had this cold black going on here at uh, CUH. So we're going to speak with a Cork City GP just to try to get a handle on he would have colleagues working in the hospital so it would be interesting to talk to him as to does he have any understanding of what is going on at Cork University Hospital and what can be done? And also, I'm really interested because he is a GP. You know, the majority of people that turn up at A&E are turning up with a little letter in their grubby paws from their GP. I, I imagine there are very few people will wake up yesterday morning, this morning or indeed any morning and decide, oh, I need to go to A&E. The majority will go to their doctor first. And that was one of the things, you know, when we got the announcement from the Cork University Hospital, it was to advise people, you know, your first port of call was your GP. You know, go in and talk to the people inside in the A&E. Their first port of call in the majority of cases was their GP. And even if, if, if they didn't make it to the GP's office, they may have rang. The GP would have spoken with them, would have assessed over the phone what was going on and would have said, you're about, you, you have no business coming into me. You need to go straight to A&E. People don't go willy nilly to the A&E department, not when we're hearing about all these long delays. So I'm I'm particularly interested to ask this GP, what does he do? Does he, you know, what does he go to every other length rather than send one of his patients along to Cork University Hospital? We've been continuing all week to chat about and get reaction from people to the, what is he, a super, super junior minister, a super, super junior minister, is that what he's called, Finney McGrath, he's got responsibility for disabilities. He's a good guy, he's done, you know, and he's particularly trying to do his best when it comes to the whole area of uh, disabilities, but it was just... Uh, he gave an interview at the weekend to the Sunday Independent where he was talking about a whole host of uh, things and actually I've been meaning I've just had a busy week I've been meaning to read it to try to download it online to read it because by all accounts it's an excellent interview there's lots of other really good things in the article but of course got, what got picked up on was his attack on members of Angarda Siakona and he was saying that he was hearing from people who were hearing from members of Angarda Siakona that they were being a little bit overzealous when it came to the breath tests and the number of drink driving checks and checkpoints that they were conducting particularly the morning after ones and they were doing it because they were annoyed at the rules and regulations that were introduced by the Minister for Transport Shane Ross of course that caused absolute hoo-ha and rage to the point that Finney McGrath has come out and apologised. He's twice, I think, come out and apologised. He apologised, you know, initially when he realised the error of his ways and then he was back out again uh, a couple of days later apologising again. So he's, you know, he's very fulsome and he's apologised saying, look, I got it wrong. I shouldn't have said it. But if you speak to grieving families who lost a loved one because of a drink driver, I'm sure any of those families will tell you there cannot be enough roadside checks to try to stop and make sure that nobody's out on our roads over the limit when it comes to drink driving. We'll speak with one of those mothers uh, today on the programme. A member of Angarda Shia Corner 
will join us for this week's Crime File and it is Thursday so Jane Pickett will join us from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in your market answering all of your pet questions you can get your pet questions in uh, throughout the day uh, to me and thank you to John Paul who's just got the updated figures from the A and E departments University Hospital Limerick have 76 goodness me that's still a huge figure uh, have 76 on their on trolleys. Now Cork University have it down to 43 and we're checking with the Southwest Hospital Group on the status black in the Cork University Hospital. We're awaiting a reply. I imagine with the numbers down to 43 they've removed that uh, status black but it's still it's still too many people on trolleys. And when I just mentioned there of the passing of the West Cork photographer, uh, Michael Minahan, Margaret in Domanway says, Michael took our photographs at our wedding in 1969. We were married in Domanway Church and we had our reception in Credence in Inchigila. He was a lovely man. May um, he rest in peace. There's a lot of people I imagine have great. I, I didn't realise that he did wedding photography as well. I mean, people would have seen his photographs in the Examiner in the evening echo and in the Southern Star for many, many years. And if anything happened, particularly in West Cork, then Michael Minahan for decades was all over so and would have got the very best photographs. But there you go, he was a wedding photographer as well. Thank you, Margaret, for that. 1850-333-103. Now, the Minister for Finance has denied putting off charges to the local property tax to protect Fine Gael election candidates. Pascal Donoghue says... Delaying the review is not about preparing for an election next year. With a view on the local property tax, I'm joined by the Mayor of Cork County, uh, Councillor Patrick Gerard Murphy. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and, and you're very welcome. Now, it was previously decided to review the rates in November of this year. Were you surprised to hear that any changes to the local property tax will not now happen or will not now be spoken about until November of 2020? Absolutely. I thought, I thought, you know, there was an expert committee set up to review it and examine it, and they came back with some recommendations, and um, lo and behold, they've been put in hold until next year. Uh, now, having said that, it's welcomed that there's no change, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I'm glad for householders that they know for next year that they're not they're not going to be burdened with any additional taxes. So that's to be welcomed, right? But um, the surety and the... the, the um, you know, the long-term future of it is un, is unforeseen. We don't know what's going to come. Um, but um, it would be And nice that's the big worry, I think, for people is not knowing how much extra they're going to have to come up with every year. Isn't it? I mean, that's Ab- the real worry. Absolutely. No, having said that, Patricia, in West Cork and North Cork and East Cork, we don't have to worry about it because house prices haven't increased in any of those areas because of <clears throat> economic activity hasn't I suppose, uh, stimulated the uh, drive for housing in those areas. So, therefore, we don't have to worry about it. But if you look at the metropolitan area of Cork, like Glanmire and Carrigtool and Carrigaline and places like that, they have a serious problem to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. And then, we, as I mentioned earlier, the people who bought new houses since 2013 who have avoided having to pay mm-hmm. property tax, obviously they, they're all going to come, in, come into the net. Well, they'll come into the net, absolutely. It, it's kind of a bit of an anomaly, actually, that People who bought houses, brand new houses in 2013, haven't paid property tax since. You know, yeah. you know, good luck to them. I suppose. Uh, yeah. In some ways. yeah, but like, it's gone to know, sixty. They reckon sixty thousand now is the figure. 
So that years it wouldn't surprise me. Sure, like how many houses have been built since 2013? Sure, yeah. it has to be in that in that region, absolutely. And I suppose, look, from from a fairness point of view, you know, everybody else is paying it, so you you being trying to say that you know eventually they should pay it, you know, um, just to, to to spread the spread the load and spread the equality of it. Um, how much of the local property tax collected locally, uh, Patrick, does Cork County Council receive? Eighty percent. Eighty percent. So, yeah, eighty percent. Yeah. So twenty percent of it goes into um, an equalisation fund, which funds, I suppose, smaller counties like Leitrim and Roscommon and Loud and places like that. You know. Um, so eighty percent is what we retain. Is it a fair system? I suppose, in some ways, it is. I suppose if you if you come from somewhere like West Cork, like me, Patricia, where we don't generate huge rates or huge property tax. We rely on the metropolitan area to, to, to help us out, I suppose, in some ways. So I don't begrudge people in Neitram and Loud um, a hand, hand out or a help up, you know, mm-hmm. because of the, the, you know, because of the nature of their demographics and their locality and their region um, where they can't generate the income themselves. I suppose so in the interest of fairness, I wouldn't be that begrudging of it, to be honest with you. Now, if you were a householder in Cork, you might say different, you know. But at least, as you say, for hard-pressed families, I mean, we were hearing like a couple of some old-age pensioners who have, you know, a fixed income, so they know exactly every month how much they need to put a, put away. For at least two years, it's fair to say there won't be an increase, because even if it is November of 2020, it'll be 2021 before the increases would come in, wouldn't it? Isn't that exactly. fair to say? So yeah. <coughs> basically, yeah, it's 2020. 2021, yeah, absolutely. No, but... I still think we need to look at the whole thing because, as you say, in the metropolitan areas, people could jump two or three vans on the current situation because their house prices increase so much um, and the value of their house has increased so much. So you'd be kind of, you know, I suppose they're they're looking at a timeline where, you know, in a couple of years' time, they will end up paying a significant amount more than they have heretofore, you know. and also, the, I suppose the other the other angle, and this is, you know, you've got maybe elderly people who have been living in the area for 20 or 30 or 40 years, and they're in an area which is very, very, um, I suppose, affluent and wealthy. Maybe it wasn't when they when they moved in there. In a large family <laughs> home. A large family home, and yeah. there's only two of them or one of them left, and they haven't downsized, and uh, they have a, a house that's worth a lot of money in a particular area. And yet they might only be on a pension. So how how do they pay um, a significant amount of property tax? Yeah. So th- there has to be. And th- the other thing then is the deferral thing. You know, there's, there's uh, if you if you've an income less than fifteen grand, you can defer your property tax for a period of time. Uh, I think the expert group recommended that be increased to eighteen grand. Okay. That hasn't that hasn't happened. And for a couple, I think it was uh, twenty five grand, and that was to be increased to thirty grand. <clears throat> but none of that has happened, you know. So and that uh, needs to happen. I think it does. Yeah, yeah to be honest, yeah. you know, because you know, um, if you have the means to pay it, then you should be given the opportunity to defer it. Yeah, and let the particularly for older people, let the next generation worry about the. Well, day. yeah, exactly, all right, yeah. but and, and, yeah, it can be built into the the sale of the house subsequently, yeah, yeah. or you know, or the transfer of it to 
in a will or whatever, you know, um, subsequently, you know. Okay, um, so at the moment it's just all guesstimates because nothing's going to happen until yeah, until uh, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it next year. But I, I definitely think the bans need to be reviewed, do you know what I mean? Because, um, you know, the, the, the certain bans there now that were established in 2014, which I think are not fit for purpose nowadays, do you know what I mean? Um, so the bans, the amount of the bans and the value that the bands that associate to should be should be reviewed definitely without a doubt okay alright and while we have you on the line um, and I know yeah. we have a piece running on our news about it today the Mayor's Charity Night is yeah. on this uh, Saturday you're hosting it at the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry Correct. is it unusual yeah. to move it out of the city? it is unusual yeah it's the first time it's been well done well done uh, look do you know what we're a big county and I think you know if there's a Mayor from Narcar Maybe next year they'll 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 bring it to Narcark and if there's a mayor from East Cork, maybe they'll bring it to East Cork. I just thought it was a good thing to do to bring it outside of the the, 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 the city and uh, bring it to the regions because we're a big county and we deserve you know we deserve to be moved around. You know, yeah. I think that was a good thing. And yeah. you're having it sounds like a fab night. It's it's an eighties yeah. an eighties themed night. Is yeah, that your I, decision, I, I, your choice? My choice. Okay. Yeah. With, with corporate affairs, myself, we decide. Well. My trust originally, and then they, they they came on board with me. To be honest with you, okay. you know. uh, something different. Uh, you know, I'm not a kind of a black tie kind of a guy. Um, Patricia, as you know, you know, I met you a few times. And you know, <laughs> I, I have met you at black tie events, and you look very smart. <laughs> but it's not my style. You know, I just wanted something low key, something that actually, um, you know, people would resonate with and um, keep it. You know, just on dirt and. Uh, ordinary I suppose to be honest with you so it's on on, on Saturday night in the West Lodge and I encourage everybody to go three wonderful charities um, as you said you've been running the Cancer Connect um, story piece on the news on. yeah yeah yeah. That, and Fiona was down yesterday Fiona Cork was on yesterday and she was blown away by I suppose the stories of the individuals who were involved and so on and uh, it's a fantastic charity and in this, this co-action which um, uh, you know my father was a board member for years and my brother is a, is a service user in co-action as well. And then there's our cows who do um, counseling services for people who are suffering from cancer. So um, there are three great charities and I'd encourage everybody to come along. You know, um, there's still tickets available just about, you know, we're, we're, we're getting close close to the line, but there's still tickets available. And I encourage everybody to come along because they're great charities. OK, and they're looking for people. If you want, you can dress up in your 80s outfit. Or uh, as a, come as you are. Come as you are. Yeah, Listen, are, you coming, are you coming down? I'm, unfortunately, I'm not going to be in Cork this weekend, so I'm I'm missing it. And when I You're saw charming. what it was, and when I saw what it was as an 80s night, I'd be an 80s head myself. I'd love it. I would love yeah. all the music. Listen, yeah. in, enjoy it yourself as well, because it's Thanks, about having enjoyed the night. Look, if people want to to either text me or you know message me on on Facebook or whatever, I'll start them up with tickets whenever okay. they want. Or they can ring Cody Hall and ask for corporate affairs. Okay. All right. Listen, enjoy. And there's tickets on Sidus tickets available in the West Lodge as well. I'll tell itself directly. Okay. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks Patricia, for that. Thank you very much. Bye Appreciate bye. Bye bye. That is the Mayor of Cork County, Patrick Jared Murphy. And actually, as Patrick mentioned, Fiona Corcoran was down with uh, Cancer at Connect. And uh, we have some some packages that she put together from her day uh, yesterday on the charities that are benefiting from the Mayor's uh, night, charity night. Uh, and we'll be playing those 
um, after 12 o'clock today. 1850 333 103. John Paul takes your calls. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We're just after receiving a statement from Cork University Hospital because we wanted to find out what was happening with this status black escalation. Cork University Hospital tell us uh, no longer in black escalation as the capacity of the hospital currently exceeds demand and the number of patients on trolleys are reducing as a result. Cork University Hospital now reports a significant reduction in the number of patients on trolleys in the emergency department with they say 23 patients on trolleys in the emergency department as of 12 noon yesterday. The hospital continues to implement a range of escalation measures including increased placements in the community and increased focus on discharges and improved patient flow. The hospital continues to encourage the public to use the alternative and you know they talk about uh, St Mary's Orthopaedic, they talk about the Mercy Urgent Care Centres and local injury units and of course we well know the ones that are based in Bantry and in Mallow and and again they emphasise the patients should attend their general practitioner initially who will make clinical decisions as to the appropriateness of presentation to the emergency department. So joining us is a Cork based uh, GP, Dr John uh, Sheehan. Good morning to you John. Morning Patricia. Okay, firstly good news that the status black escalation is gone uh, from CUH. Have you an understanding and have you spoken to colleagues of yours at CUH as to how we got to that situation this week? I have, Patricia, and really fundamentally it comes down to a capacity problem. Um, Currently in CUH, there's over 70 patients who are awaiting some form of placement, whether it's a step-down facility, a rehabilitation bed after a stroke, or long-term nursing placement. So that puts a strain already on the existing beds that are there. And normally in CUH, they get approximately 45 admissions in a 24-hour period um, to to the hospital. And the two days before the um, escalation, um, they were getting 75 um, in those two nights, which is unusual because there's no big flu epidemic or anything like that out uh, at the moment. So it was that they were stretched in terms of people in the hospital that couldn't get out. And then they got a big increase in numbers and the system just basically couldn't cope with it. Perfect storm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know. and it would would the same explanation be there for University Hospital Limerick because they broke all records yesterday with ninety two on trolleys at their A and E department. They do. Uh, they, they seem to have a particular problem in Limerick. It, it regularly is one of the top hospitals for um, which is an unenviable title for 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 people waiting on trolleys. Part of the problem there, Patricia, I think, is that Ennis and Nina feed into um, into Limerick now. So Limerick tends to be the only point of contact for accessing a lot of services. So a lot of patients end up from the broader geographical area in Clare and in Tipperary, and they all feed into Limerick as well. And it just doesn't seem to be able to cope um, with that. And there are solutions to this. This isn't, you know, other countries have managed to um, um, to change this. It's not a question of building more A&Es, and it's not a question, you know, because it's not really an A&E problem, although that's the area where it presents. The difficulty is that 
in terms of accessing services, an awful lot of things have to go through A&E, and that creates a huge stress and strain on the um, A&E. And we have the situation where in the medical assessment unit where there's one in CUH, which is a very, very good facility where if you say, if I see someone who may need investigations but doesn't necessarily need to have to go to A&E, you can book them in there and they get all their tests done. Now, that is under threat due to the fact that they're trying to turn it into a a regular ward. And I know um, the consultants there are very frustrated um, by that. But also we have the situation, so say, for instance, someone's unfortunate enough to, say, break their hip and be an elderly person and be admitted to hospital and may need a nursing home um, placement. Sometimes it could be up to two to three months through no fault of their own before all that is sorted and before a place is available. So therefore they stay in the hospital for a lot of that time. When they don't want to be there, the hospital aren't necessarily doing anything for them they may be at a higher risk of picking up infections and things like that. So if we could improve that process and streamline that process in terms of step-down beds and rehabilitation facilities and nursing home placements, that would go a long way to um, improving the situation. But but as a GP, are you doing your best not to refer people to the A&E departments? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just this morning, I've had to refer someone who who had to go in and you're kind of apologising to them because you know the journey that's ahead of them. Um, You know, they're going to be there all day. You know, it's stressful. It's, you know, straining. You know, if someone has to be on a trolley, you could just imagine, you know, so you, you you know, people and generally people will do anything to avoid having to go to A&E. You know, people go to A&E by and large, uh, as, as a last resort, because no one wants to be 10, 12 hours waiting in a, in a waiting room. Um, you know, it's a stressful time. Um, it's not very pleasant, you know, despite the best efforts of the staff. So people, you know, people don't want to go to any, and sometimes you have to try to persuade them because they, 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 they really have to go in. And then yesterday when we were discussing this, as always happens, we get people from West Cork and North Cork saying they never should have closed the A&E departments at Mallow and uh, Bantry and people saying we predicted that this was going to happen if you funnel everybody up into one main uh, A&E. Could Mallow and Bantry be doing more? They they certainly could. I mean, they, they, they provide fantastic services to the community in their area. But the real issue with this, Patricia, isn't so much in a, having an A&E because it's, it, it's this problem with capacity. It's the fact that all upstairs in the hospital, all the beds are full, so they're all backlogged up along. So it's like having a, you know, a traffic jam at the Jack Lynch Tunnel. There's a backlog all the way along, you know, um, you know um, in that situation. So, you know, we need to start planning. We need to have more, like, for instance, in Clonakilty now, they've recently opened um, at 20 beds of a transitional step-down ward. And that's very good. So it means someone who's in hospital who isn't quite ready for home but might need more care and attention and another week or two, they can go down then to Clonakilty and get the two weeks there and then go home. And we need a lot more of that. And, you know, there's a good argument for having, you know, more of them in Mallow, in West Cork, so that, you know, patients don't have the choice of hospital or home, that they have a week or two where they can get stronger, get more treatment and then go home. And that would take more pressure over... um, off the system. And we have to remember in the next 20 years the number of over 80s is going to double in Ireland and that's a great thing but unless we start planning for that now we are going to have more days like this. Because I saw yesterday the President of the Irish Medical Organisation saying the crisis at CUH will become the norm. 
unless action is taken. Yeah, unless, and he's absolutely right. And unless we start planning for this and for the future, then that everything goes into an A&E, that there are other mechanisms of access and care and that there's more community support and that there are better ways of managing people in the community. This will happen again, unfortunately. OK, I'll let you go because I appreciate your work today, John. I really appreciate you taking our call. Thank you Thanks, for that. Patricia. Thanks, Thanks uh, for joining us. That is a Cork-based uh, GP, uh, Dr John uh, Sheehan. And actually, we have a clip from uh, Simon Harris. This was Simon Harris speaking about the overcrowding at Cork University Hospital. I'm assuming that this happened yesterday when we were in the middle of this status black escalation at the hospital. So yesterday afternoon, myself and Minister Jim Daly took the opportunity to have a teleconference with management in CUH and also with the community health service management in that part of Cork uh, to see what measures they were putting in place to make sure that everybody was on top of the situation and working hard. I've no doubt that they were. Um, I'm satisfied that they are. Whilst the numbers are still very high today, we have seen them make some progress. They assure me they'll make more progress in the coming days. CUH is a hospital that made an awful lot of progress in relation to its trolley counts and in relation to its patient times. Unfortunately, it had a very difficult period in recent days with a very large increase in attendances. Um, so I know everyone is working as hard as they possibly can. I had a call yesterday with them to see if there were any additional measures above and beyond what they were doing uh, that could be put in place. But they were satisfied that everything that could be done was being done. One of the very practical things they were doing yesterday was trying to transfer patients to other uh, maybe level two hospitals or community facilities. And we were making sure that ambulance support was available for those transfers. And that was the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, on the crisis at CUH. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Sheila is in a bit of a dilemma she's wondering if anybody can help because she said I'm facing the same dilemma that I've been facing for the last number of years. I just cannot find a nice old fashioned holy Easter card to send to loved ones. Can't find anyone anywhere in the Fermoy area. It's all rabbits and eggs and daffodils. You might get a stylish looking cross if you're very lucky, but there's no decent holy verse or anything on any of these cards. Does anyone know where I can purchase religious Easter cards? Tried online, by the way, said Sheila, and they've either all sold out or they don't deliver to Ireland. Where did Holy Catholic Ireland go, says Sheila, when I wasn't uh, looking? OK, I'm not in the habit of sending Easter cards, so I haven't come across. This isn't a particular dilemma that I'm faced, uh, Sheila. But so I've seen and I know exactly the cards. I've passed them. I've seen the cards with the rabbits, the eggs and the and lovely daffodils. And they're sort of they're spring like cards, are they? Aren't they more than anything? But but Sheila is looking for Holy, religious Easter cards. Anybody seen them on sale or did anybody manage to buy them in the past? Can you point Sheila in the direction? She's in the Fomoy area, but I'm assuming she'll travel if needs be. She needs to get working on this because Easter is fast approaching and I take it it's to send to people maybe overseas, people away, people that she doesn't get to see that often people she won't be celebrating Easter with. So a little bit like the way you send Christmas cards. Some people, like our Sheila, sends Easter cards in the same way, but she would like them to be holy, please, religious in nature, ideally with some kind of a religious photograph on the front. But she's also uh, is looking for some kind of a religious themed verse on the inside. If anybody can help, please contact us. 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 
103103. And actually, well, I mentioned earlier when I was passing on my deepest sympathies to the Minahan family because it was in the paper this morning I read of the death of Michael Minahan, the well-known uh, photographer who passed away yesterday at uh, Bantry uh, General Hospital. A lot of people remembering Michael Minahan and the wonderful, wonderful man that he was, including Mary, who says, Michael Minahan, photographer, RIP. He was such a lovely man, says Mary. And just to tell you, uh, Patricia, his daughter Anne is also a photographer and a very good photographer. Yeah, and I should have mentioned that. I mentioned Michael uh, because Michael, or I mentioned, sorry, Dennis, his son, because I often mention Dennis on the programme here when he takes a particularly stunning photograph and I'll mention, you know, a photograph on the back of the examiner, the front of the examiner, and it was taken by uh, Dennis uh, Minahan. But yes, you were right, um, Michael's daughter Anne and sister to Dennis is also a fine photographer in her own right as well and I should have mentioned that. Thank you Mary for pointing that out to me. And then Mary in Rathcool was on with a gorgeous story about Michael Minahan. She says it was December of 1992 and the Cork Examiner had a photograph of a Santa Claus that was taken by Michael Minahan. But Michael's son John Anthony wasn't happy with the photograph because the particular Santa Claus was kind of a bit emaciated looking. He was a bit on the thin side. So John Anthony, I don't know what age, young lad, obviously, maybe seven or eight, decided he would write to the Cork Examiner to point out the fact that the picture of Santa Claus wasn't the best photograph because, nothing wrong with the photograph, but Santa was looking a bit on the thin side. So John Anthony wrote to the Irish Examiner. Next, he was contacted by Michael, the photographer, who said, well, will you come with me, please, to the city and let us have a walk around the city. Let us go visit the haunts where the Santa Clauses hang out and see if we can find a nice Santa Claus to photograph. So the bold John Anthony went up and met Michael and they walked around the city and they eventually took a photograph of a rather slightly large, I imagine, Santa Claus in Quinsworth as it was in Douglas at the time. And I think that photograph then appeared with John Anthony in the photograph with the Santa Claus that he felt was of a better size, isn't Doesn't that show, doesn't that sum up what a lovely man Michael Minahan was, that he took the time to walk around with that young boy. Thank you, Mary, and thank you uh, for sharing that story with us. 1850 333 Now, calls and comments. Um, before I go to the property text, just a few on CUH. Now, I'm assuming that this one has come from someone who is a patient at the hospital at the at the moment. When I announced in the last hour on the programme that there was 43 people on trolleys, somebody, somebody is disputing that figure and says they have now hidden the trolleys in wards, perhaps reclassifying them as beds, but ultimately those patients are still on trolleys, although they're not in the A&E department. There's one in our ward says this person, so I'm assuming it's a patient and I'm told two to three are in other wards. And if a minister did decide to call, which somebody had suggested yesterday, they'd be hidden as well uh, on request from the government. Hear no evil, see no uh, evil. And yes, I, I know the point you're making, they're still on trolleys, but the fact that they're up on towards, they've been admitted on towards, and the trolleys, I suppose they are not, they really are not the most comfortable places to be if you've ever been on a trolley and if you've been on it for a long long period you'll know they certainly are not very comfortable and if you're in hospital you're in hospital because you're not well 
Uh, Pat in from says, I agree it's very bad for people to be on trolleys. I was in Cork University Hospital on Tuesday. It was really, really bad up there. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, they're the ones that do the trolley count. I think that they, are, while they are being truthful about the figures, but I think we should also be provided with figures for those that are remaining in beds that have nowhere to go the delayed discharges, the people that Dr John Sheehan spoke to us about, he put a figure of about 70 on it. But I don't know, I'm assuming that number fluctuates, does it, uh, every day. Uh, so Pat Infomoy says, so the INMO are a bit political, giving just one figure. They should also give a figure on the number of beds with uh, no one to go, which would give an explanation as to why. Yeah, I can see the point Pat's, uh, Pat's making, that if you come out like yesterday and say there are 72 people on trolleys waiting to get into a bed and then if at the same time you come out and say well actually there's 70 people who uh, don't need to be in an acute bed they're delayed discharges that technically then if all of them had been discharged as as per their consultant or doctor they would be gone so the 72 on the trolleys would have ended up in the bed so you'd have actually only had two on uh, trolleys and there would have been no story nothing to see here move on by so Pat reckons that, that should be done and it would also in particular show the needs for the community hospitals. Now, some of your thoughts on the property tax. A lot of people, again, were very annoyed about local property tax. I suppose we haven't spoken about it in quite some time because people have just gotten into the habit. You pay it every year. You have no choice in the matter. Revenue collected and you pay it. But because now there's conversation around it, uh, people now again starting to get very annoyed about having to pay local property tax. Pat says we are all working now just to pay taxes to the government. People are paying every kind of tax. They're all robbers, says Pat. Someone else says they should simply abolish these this local property tax. Uh, they should get rid of it. Then what about houses, dances? What about, well, this is interesting. What about houses with wind turbines that have been built nearby and particularly that have been built, say, since 2013? 2013 was the year that we all valued our houses and that's the, that's the rate of which we're paying our local property tax at the moment. And whether your house went up or down, it didn't matter. You have to pay based on the valuation from 2013. So Pat is saying, what if a wind turbine went up near your house since 2013. It is a well-known fact that those houses are devalued straight away for having a wind farm or a wind turbine near a residential area. I wonder could anybody, could any, could we ask, could you ask someone in the valuation business about this, says Dan. Well, I'm assuming they're one of the ones that are losing out because the review has been delayed. When the review happens, all of the houses are going to be revalued. So yes, there will be. In the majority of cases, houses will have increased in value. But yes, of course, there will be cases like that where a house has been devalued. Now there won't be many but you you are right Dan so those people obviously are losing out because their houses have devalued and yet they're paying the local property tax that was set in at 2013. Heidi says Patricia as I said to you yesterday our house prices have raised but is of no help as we still live in them. If you look if you look at what taxes are taken from us we are taxed when we buy a house then we are 
they take tax from our savings. They tax us on our earnings. They tax us on our motor tax. I sometimes think there are guys in a government somewhere have a think tank in which they all sit down and say, what can we tax next? Where in the name of God do they think we are going to be able to get all of our money from? 1850 Marais says, hi, just inquiring. We have, we built a house in 2016, should we be paying property tax? No, anyone who built a new house since 2013, because you weren't around, your house wasn't built when they started valuing the houses, you don't. Now, I can guarantee you, Marais, that when they do decide to revalue in November of 2020, you'll be paying it what you won't pay until 2021 is what they're looking like um, at the moment. But no, if it was a new build, you don't have to uh, pay. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. I think that's all of the comments from there. I just want to go back to very quickly back to uh, yesterday when we were discussing weddings on the programme. Uh, Peggy and Balancholic got on to us at the end of the programme yesterday. I didn't get a chance to mention her comment to say that she still has her... Remember we were talking yesterday about people still having wedding presents and we had lots of lovely stories of people still having sheets and Green Hill towels still in the original boxes. We had Joan with her 10... China tea services with somebody else with there was a 20 canteens of cutlery and on and on and it was fun it was fun but it was nice what I loved about it was the fact that people have still got presents and they can remember the person that gave the present to them and in some cases the person is long since gone but they still have the wedding present and we were just saying about the younger generation will because they get cash will they miss out on those kind of memories but then you know it's I was talking to somebody yesterday who was saying, you know, people, young people today will change kitchens and change interior design has become the in thing that, you know, gone are the days where somebody got maybe a dinner service and the particular colour of the dinner service matched the kitchen and that would be the kitchen that stick with that colour. So people change things up all the time and with it we've become kind of a disposable generation, haven't we? We just, we'll throw that out and we'll buy a new one. How many people have done that with, say, kettles and toasters? For example, if you change the colour scheme of your kitchen, have you changed your kettle and toaster as well? Many people have done that. Peggy and Balancholic, anyway, contacted us to say she still has her wedding bill from 1951. It was the 8th of December. Uh, She got married on the 8th of December 1951 and they had the reception in the Metropole and she still has the original wedding bill bill. It was 10 and 6 ahead and I don't know what the full bill came to but 10 and 6 ahead and she said Fifty since 1951 she still has the top of the wedding cake and I, in 1951 I don't know what was popular in the 50s I take it was it the bride the little bride and groom sort of figurines those type of figurines but what's lovely about this story was her granddaughter got married two years ago and her granddaughter used the cake topper from Peggy's original cake from 1951 now that is a lovely lovely special thing to do and uh, Peggy has lots of wonderful memories of her wedding to her to Danny, her now her late uh, husband, who she was uh, married uh, to. Lovely story, Peggy, and lovely to still have the bill, the original bill from nineteen at fifty one. We spoke about referees because you remember we we had young Harry McGann. 
young schoolboy ref, he's only 20, he's been refereeing for five years, just talking about the abuse that he gets and that led, led to people talking about the lack of respect both on the pitch and off the pitch and we need to do something about it because if these young people decide to give up refereeing, then we won't have the sports, we won't have the soccer because we won't have anyone to officiate the games, we won't have the GAA matches and lots of people saying, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen in rugby, for example. Huge respect level in rugby for the referees, but it's not the same in soccer or in GAA. Well, Stephen and Kerry says a lot of the problems with society now is down to the fact that parents can't even be bothered controlling their children anymore. It started with the boom and now we're seeing the results of it. And we still have, in inverted commas, experts telling us that you can't slap a child. All I know is that it never did me any harm, said Stephen, either physically or psychologically being slapped as a child when he did something wrong. Children can do anything they want these days as the parents look on with pride. They have no respect for anything or anyone anymore. So says Stephen in Kerry and he reckons that then is transferred over onto the pitch because if they don't have respect off the pitch, they're not going to have respect on the pitch. But a lot of what was coming out yesterday from Harry, I mean, you know, it's frightening to think of a 14-year-old squaring up to him because he asked him to leave the pitch. But then when he had to abandon the game, you know, he to the supporters saying, we'll meet you outside in the car park in a very threatening manner. This young 20-year-old, you know, giving up his Saturday to referee a match. And then we put this up on our Facebook page, this, now, I don't know when this sign went up, but this is a sign that's up in the Bandon Underage GAA. And it's a sign that's up on what looks like the gate as you're heading into the pitch or the training pitch. And it says, welcome to our club. Please remember. And they list six things. One, the players are children. Two, the coaches are volunteers. Three, the referees are human. Four, this is not, and not as underlined, this is not the All-Ireland final. Five, show respect to players and coaches. And number six, first priority is having fun. And then the, the very end, enjoy the games. Well done. And I'm wondering, have many other underage clubs felt it necessary to put up a sign like that? So it's showing the very fact that somebody somewhere the powers that be, management committee, abandoned underage GAA, were forced to put up that sign shows that obviously the player, there was abuse from the sideline, from the sports moms and dads, from other players, from other, other children. But I mean, it does, it looks like it's very much aimed at the adults though because it does start with the players are children. Give them a break, please, and let them just enjoy uh, their sport. Minister Finian McGrath has apologised for his comments at the weekend on how the Gardaí are conducting roadside tests for drink drivers. The grieving relatives of road traffic victims have branded his remarks as an insult and a slap in the face. One of those grieving mothers is Christina Donnelly, who lost her wonderful son, Brendan, in a crash caused by a drunk driver in 2009. And uh, Christina Donnelly takes time out to talk to us this morning. Good morning to you, Christina. Good morning and thank you for having well, me. Well, you're, you're very welcome. What was your initial reaction when you heard Finian McGrath say the implementation of the drink driving laws are over the top? I was, well, I was just very, very angry. 
very, very angry. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, he should have thought long and hard, uh, especially as he's uh, uh, had plenty of experiences of people opening their mouth and saying the wrong things, which has caused offence to people. Um, but it, particularly in a situation like this, when we're speaking about uh, uh, life and loss, and, uh, you know, many campaigners, uh, including myself, worked tirelessly to to be part of the new legislation which was brought in on the 26th of October. And then you have a, a politician uh, who will uh, make a statement like this and talk about guard of presence and checkpoints between 12 and 2 p.m. and arguing that they're, you know, uh, doing too many, there's too much guard of presence during the day. I thought, first of all, it was an absolute insult and a slap in the face. I stated that myself uh, uh, in the media. And I also, I personally asked him for an apology to uh, grieving families because he, I don't, he didn't, I mean, he's an intelligent man and uh, he was aware of what he was saying at the time. And what got me was that the, um, he did such a, a, a quick U-turn. Uh, I don't think he realised uh, the reaction that he was going to get to his statement. Um, I think he thought that it would be in his favours, quite honestly, but it didn't, um, it, it did uh, quite, you know, it didn't go the way he wanted it. Mm. And uh, he didn't have the people's interest at heart. Um, uh, you know, as you know yourself, we had uh, a lot of opposition when people were fighting for this new uh, drink driving law to be um, uh, exercised and introduced. But um, I think a U-turn, for me, uh, was far too late. He'd said the word, he'd damaged, and uh, he really did. And I, I know I'm speaking because I've been in touch with so many families who have lost loved ones, especially during driving. Um, you know, it hurts the core to think that apart from being a politician, you regard them as being a family man and understanding, and that, you know, he must know uh, uh, or have colleagues or friends that, you know, perhaps would have attended funerals to uh, with families to to uh, uh, victims of drink driving. Uh, but he has no idea. He has and has no idea. Never have uh, what a family goes through when a when this happens to your home. Yeah, I mean, if, if if anything, do you think there should be more roadside checkpoints? I've been asked this before, and this is when there was quite a lot in the media again regarding uh, guard presence. Now, as the answer will always come back, that the uh, and the guard commissioner will say himself, or the the superintendents in local uh, in the local guard stations, that they are doing their best, and uh, because of guard resources, this is the answer we will always get. And I think this we have to uh, we we don't know uh, the amount of guard um, uh, resources that they have, uh, so. Um, the one thing that I will say, uh, I live in a rural area, very rural area, and I have to admit that there is, I have never seen Garda presence on my route uh, uh, during the day or um, perhaps late in the evening if I'm coming back. I have never seen a Garda presence where you would have um, public houses. But um, for saying that, uh, you know, wherever there is a Garda presence and with regards to a lot of um, uh, what shall I say, anger and, and resilience against uh, the breathalyzing uh, the morning after. And I do agree with that. Uh, there was a lot of being said, as you know yourself, that this was very, very unfair. The children being taken to school or workers, you know, getting into the lorries or the cars. 
but there's been um, a very high ratio of, of uh, drivers uh, caught and they were well over the legal limit, you know, about to head out on the road. And that's even a more dangerous time because, you know, you're sleep uh, deprived, you're, you're hungover, you're, you're, you're tired, you're not focusing. Your well. reaction and time isn't, reaction isn't time as fast. Exactly. So yeah. I absolutely agree with it. Um, with with people being um, uh, breathalyzed the next morning. I know the the latest figures that I was able to find uh, yesterday, uh, 69 motorists were caught over the drink driving uh, limit. This was in the month of January. January, And just to see 69, you're thinking, oh my God. Um, And there was... 10% 10% of the figures were p- people detected over the limit between the hours of 6am and midday. That's right. Uh, well, when you think oh, sorry, that, that 69 was the, sorry, there was the numbers caught in the morning. There were 695 yeah. people were caught. Yeah, yes. nearly 700 yes. people were caught drink driving in the, in the month of January. 69 were, were, were caught in the morning. So, I mean, we are, uh, you've, you've got January, February, March and we're only basically into the first week of April and just imagine what a statistic to have to read uh, that people are still not getting the message. I mean, it's, it's absolutely um, shattering to think that, you know, after all the hard work and all the publicity, you can't open a paper, you can't put on your television without seeing an ad about, you know, drink driving and, and uh, uh, you can get your own breathalyzer kit, you know, from any pharmacy, which is 100% viable. I mean, uh, I mean, it beggars belief why this message is not getting across to people because um, taking a chance is one of the worst things they could possibly do because from the moment they get into the car and being, you know, over the legal limit, particularly in the morning time, and you have a lot of traffic on the road as well, then you have most times, particularly in the mornings, with people going to work and children going to school and you have, uh, you know, school coaches. You know, there's a lot going on, particularly around that time or... Uh, families, you know, uh, collecting their children from little preschools. I mean, it's it's a uh, it, it's it's an open book for something absolutely shocking happening. And um, I have uh, I have full support for um, any driver who is stopped and breathalyzed uh, from the Gardaí, uh in in those times that uh, we'd have our politicians, you know, disagreeing with, because you you know. You can't take these chances. I mean, lives are absolutely shattered. And, uh, you know, even the death of my son in 2009, it's like yesterday. Your lives are turned upside down if only people who get into the cars knowingly and willingly that are over the legal limit would stop and think about that. Because Jim and Cove was saying if people were not drinking and driving then there would be no need for these checkpoints but unfortunately that is what happens. People are drinking and driving people are uh, taking risks and for people that complain they they should have nothing to fear. If you're not breaking the law you'll have nothing to fear from from these road checks. You took the words out of my mouth they have nothing to fear but um Again, as I, I said the other day, uh, that, you know, it, no matter what we say or what we do, it's down to each and every one of us. I'm generalizing now. It's down to each and every one of us to make sure that, you know, when we get into a lethal weapon and we put that key in the ignition, that we know that, God forbid, whatever would happen, that uh, we are, you know, uh, not over the legal limit with alcohol or drugs being a contributory factor and that we... Um, are doing our best to to drive safely and to preserve life on our roads and 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 to uh, you know lower the mortality the, the uh, death rates. 
Absolutely. But again, the message, I don't know, I just don't know people's mindset when they take these chances because they take a chance, you know, once too often and they're going to find themselves in exactly the same situation that myself and many other families and you, are in You wouldn't today. wish that on anyone? I would not wish that on anyone because my life and the life of, of thousands of other families uh, turned upside down the, the, the day I got that phone call about my gorgeous son. And uh, it, you're never the same and you're absolutely emotionally and physically exhausted. And that's the truth. And it you're coming up to there. the 10th anniversary in October of this year. Yeah. Um, Christina, is it getting any easier? 2017, it hit me like a, a ton of bricks for some reason. It was my worst year because for the first couple of years, you're actually numb, which any bereaved family or parent will tell you. You're so numb. And then reality kicks in. And I've said many times as well, honestly, Pat, I would rather be numb for the rest of my life because it's like a, a, a safeguard, but you don't realize that you're that numb. You think you're, you're coping well, but you're not because your system has had such a shock. I mean, there, there's no antidote for that. I mean, you're just broken up inside and you're trying to do your best. And especially if you have other family members, I have another son, Sean. He's only 14 months between Sean and Brendan. And then reality kicks in. And reality is not good. Any, any family member would tell you that. It absolutely sucks. It's so painful. And it's so in your face that you just want to go in behind your front door and, and not go out. And that's exactly how I've been many, many days of the week over the years. And I'll be very honest about that. I, I, have, it, I couldn't get back from Tesco's or from town quickly enough just to get out of that car and come in and close this door. And I just did not want anything to do with the outside world because especially, you know, where my son lived and worked here, every corner I turned, it was a reminder of Brendan, God rest him. And um, it was 2017, for whatever reason, I hit a brick wall and the actual reality that Brendan was not going to come through the front door again hit me like a ton of bricks. I was rock bottom, absolutely rock bottom. I felt somebody was absolutely ripping the stomach out of me and my inside. I, I was finding it hard to even, you know, take deep breaths. I had a very, very bad year, and that was 2017. And so you've and you've been them. you've been such a fantastic advocate. I mean, I've interviewed you many times with you when you were getting, fighting for Brendan's law uh, yes. to come in, and I know you were a very strong advocate for the uh, for the automatic three month driving ban That's for right, people I, for people caught. Has that yes. helped, Christina? Yes, I, I have to be honest and. I said many times, Pat, and I, I, I say this from the bottom of my heart, this was never about me. This, I never, I never in my, my wildest dreams thought that I would have to go down this road uh, like many, many families who campaign and fight for justice for their loved ones and being their voice after they're gone. But for, for, some, for some reason, and I genuinely know it came from Brendan because Brendan was a true fighter in anything he believed in. And it, was, it started, you know, just with me making inquiries into drunk driving legislation, which I knew nothing about the legalities or legislation. It never really, I never really um, took that keen interest in it. I certainly knew it was wrong to drink and drive. But with regards to the other areas of legislation and, and what you'd have to go through and, and the fight that you could have before you. But, you know, I had to learn. I had to claw my way through it. And oh, where I'm sitting right now, I mean, anything that I've done in relation to Brendan's law and the proposal which was introduced last October was the for the um, three-month ban and, and 
what went with this. Uh, that was the um, uh, the first objective that I ent- I spoke about Minister Ross when I went to Dublin, and he told me he'd never heard of that before. It had never been uh, uh, looked into before. So for that reason, um, I'm proud of Brendan for giving me the strength because um, I know every person that we have lost to a drunk driver is the most precious, precious, precious thing, you know, in our lives. And the sadness that it causes is just unbelievable. But, you know, when you try and achieve something um, and, you know, you get that inner strength in you, like I said to many, many bereaved families, you'll find an inner strength that you never knew you had. And if anybody had said to me, that I would have, you know, gone along that road. And every time a door was closed to my face and basically somebody would look at me either above in Dublin or remember when Gordy Shikon, I'm being honest, they'd, they'd look at you and you'd know what they were thinking. They'd say, look, you're grieving. Go home and have a cup of tea. You know, don't take this on. Don't do this. But, you know, it even drove me harder. And for that reason, I'm proud of Brendan. And I, I hope and I know that it has saved many, many lives on our roads and, and, and we'll continue to and we'll continue to save lives in, into the future yeah. um, listen uh, Christine it's a pleasure as always to, to talk Thank to you, you you're, you're an amazing you're an amazing woman and, and I know Brendan's smiling down on you somewhere and he's oh, very very proud of you that's smiling. for sure listen God bless and look after yourself Thank you very take much take care bye 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 it's heartbreaking to talk to families like that who've lost uh, a loved one because of a drink driver that was Christina Donnelly who lost her son Brendan along with his best friend Lee and they were killed by a drunk driver almost now uh, 10 years ago um, Mary uh, by Texas please breathalyse morning, noon and uh, night um, but please keep away from churches and graveyards I was knocked down by a drunk driver at uh, 4.30 and now I'm waiting on a knee replacement. Nothing as bad as the mum you're talking to, Christina Donnelly, who lost her uh, son. Uh, But people need to stop and think about drinking and... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, driving. I need to focus on that. Sergeant Tony Cronin from Mallow Garda Station joining me in studio uh, for this week's uh, Garda File. Uh, good morning to you, Tony. Good morning. And uh, you're welcome. Now, we start, uh, you're looking for help with some burglaries, starting with a burglary in Quartertown in Mallow. Yes, uh, Patricia. We had a burglary in Quartertown in Mallow last Monday, which is the 1st of April last. And this happened in the evening time between the hours of 6.15pm and 9pm. So there's just under three hour window for this burglary to take place. Now, uh, Quartstown here, where this burglary took place, is a residential area. It's um, kind of a slip road uh, on for the industrial estate. So there would be a lot of traffic in this area. It's a busy spot. It's a busy spot. And again, it's 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. A lot of people would be using this, um, uh, we'll call it a re- relief road to get around, we'll say, by the industrial estate. And there's a lot of people living in this area. So again, it's last Monday. Uh, a three hour window from 6pm to 9pm where a front window was uh, accessed uh, it was damaged uh, they got an entry through the front window of the house and they went through the house and took uh, some items from it personal items and they made their getaway uh, without being detected at the time Okay. so what we're looking for is people who would have noticed anyone hanging around this area uh, Anyone who lives in the Quartown area and this stretch of road will, will all know their neighbours. Yeah. They're living there for a long period of time. So we would just ask you to think back. Can you remember any car being in the vicinity of this area? And or the, people date, walking the date through? again? It's last Monday, the 1st of April. 1st of last. April, OK. So that might ring bells because it was April Fool's Day and all of that. So the 1st of yes. April, last Monday, uh, between 6... 6 and 9pm. You and may nine. have seen someone who was even uh, standing around watching to see was there anyone watching them Uh, Did you see people walking uh, in this area that you wouldn't recognise or did you see a car parked up by the industrial estate? We would be asking people just to think back and we'd be looking for any assistance we could get, please. So the Gardaí in Mallow, if you could give them a call, would be delighted to get any assistance in solving this burglary. Okay, and there was also a burglary in Charleville. Yes, Patricia, this burglary occurred in the area of Coolain, Charleville, which is um, an outside area, a rural area uh, outside Ballyhay. And... uh, this happened uh, over a period of two days, between the 28th and the 30th of March last, which is last Thursday into Sunday morning. So from 6pm on the Thursday, uh, there was a two, kind of two-day window where uh, a caravan on, on a site was accessed, uh, forcibly entered, and they also attempted to take this caravan. This, um, there was a dwelling house being built, and there was also uh, sheds under construction. And they were also um, uh, attempted to be um, broken into. Now, nothing appears to have been taken from these uh, attempted break-ins in in the different sections, we'll say the um, caravan and uh, the sheds. But uh, this is a rural area and anyone would notice, we'll say, especially at night time, the lights, etc. You'd have to have lights in this area uh, of a car or a torch. And there's quite a few houses in the area. And we would ask the public, please, just to think back, did you see anything? Did you cop any car parked up? 
or do you see people hanging around this general area? Uh, it, again, it's a two-day window, and it's last uh, Thursday, the Sunday morning, uh, when this burglary, uh, attempted burglary took place in Kuline. So again, uh, obviously the area was well sealed off, you know, with the caravan and the, um, the, the sheds that were under construction. So the owner was doing a good job with well done. securing yeah. their property and um, we'd like to so nothing compliment was taken. for that. And just other people that have buildings under construction to make sure that any um, property they have, be it machinery for use in the construction of the house, make sure that it is well uh, locked away and not uh, visible to the public. Now, counterfeit notes floating around North Cork. Yes, uh, Patricia, we have a spate of uh, counterfeit notes um, on the go again now, and uh, they're in different denominations. We have the 20 euro and the 50 euro note. Um, Usually they're offered in ones as opposed to twos and threes, and it's usually in the supermarkets that they come, they have been offered. would say for for purchase of goods. So what we would just uh, ask the public at large, would say especially shopkeepers and business people um, to check. Be alert. Be alert uh, and check it. And um, also we've been in contact with the local bookmakers as well because quite often a number of notes could be passed through there, you know. If uh, you're giving in a bundle of notes. People would have thought, yes, but... um, they, in fairness, um, are very diligent in this matter and uh, they check. I've I've noticed, like, certainly of late, if I'm handing in, particularly 50 euro notes, you know, a lot of the times the shop assistant will use the pen. Is that they? So that's, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll rub a pen over it to make sure that it's not Yes, they have two systems, uh, generally, the pen and the light. Yeah. Uh, and they scan it uh, with, with the light and they use the pen also. So Everybody, uh, all the shop owners need to be doing that now, don't they? Yes. And have their staff uh, trained in how to do it. Yes, and uh, they generally do, you know. So um, we're, again, just um, appealing to the public out there, just be careful and... Um, don't get um, caught up in something there where someone is asking you for change just for the sake of making change. Do you know what I mean? And and then they might buy something for 50 cents or a euro. And hand a 50 or a note. Yeah, and they might try yeah. it a second time. You so should get suspicious. Just okay. be careful that. All right, then fraud. This is cold calling for a loan. This is a, a new one. Yes. Um, some t- uh, there's a very way this uh, crime can occur. It could be someone has possibly overheard someone talking about a loan or that they may make a cold call just um, on chance and whereby I could get a phone call, a cold call from somebody and they would um, say they're from a lending institution and they'd say yes um, you were looking for a loan or you are looking for a loan and if I say yes I'm am looking for a loan I would be interested, that's fine and we can guarantee you a loan up to X amount of pounds, do you know what I mean, which might sound suitable to me, maybe a couple of hundred euro, maybe a thousand. And I'm just giving a general scenario here. Yeah. And then what would happen is I would provide my bank account details and lo and behold, I wouldn't get a loan, but the money's gone out of my bank. Oh, goodness. So uh, these are cold calls by people who would be uh, alleging that they're from um, proper financial institutions. Yeah. And this is the way they're trying to. There's just so many scams, isn't there? You've got, you just have to be so careful. So what we would like to do is just people to be more mindful. And if you have elderly neighbours or people living on their own, just will say to chat to them and say, look, if you need anything to change any bills or you want to do any anything financial, um, talk to someone that you're friendly with. And uh, then encourage the elderly people, especially, not to do anything on their own. Uh, have someone with them when they're at all times changing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll say bills, paying bills, 
or getting jobs done, etc., have someone with them when any interaction is there. That's what we would encourage them, yeah, yeah. especially the elderly community. Because, because we know the old, older people are targeted. We had one only a couple of weeks ago here from West Cork where an elderly gentleman was targeted to buy shoes and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and uh, the money gone. So you, just, you need to be very careful. OK, um, the big push. The big push, yes. This, now, we spoke with some firefighters. Was it, was it firefighters we had on or were they the Red Cross? I remember they came into the studio. Remind us of this. Right, um, John Finnegan was here. John, was John Finnegan? John Finnegan would yeah. be the coordinator of this event and um, the community first responders. That's it. So the initiative is that there's an ambulance push on in Mallow Racecourse who have very kindly uh, come on board. So the ambulance push will be for a marathon distance on the day of Saturday, the 27th of April. And basically the, the reasoning for this is there's five communities there where the community first responders um, are very active and they would be Mallow, Liscarroll, Butfund, Donrell, Ballyclaw. Okay. But they have probably 80 people trained and they need funding to buy uh, defibrillators, mannequins, etc. So that every single first responder yeah, has yes. their own defib, yeah. So that um, basically this, they, they're providing 24-hour cover and uh, they're doing a great service, but they need funding. So John came up with this initiative with other people and it's going on on the 27th of April. So you've an, an awful lot of uh, agencies involved in this. You've um, the Coast Guard, the River Rescue, Community Guard E, the Irish Lung Foundation will be there in the day. You have the Fire Brigade Service. Um, you have all the community first responders who will be pushing along with uh, Gardaí. And we also have people who will be attending on the day and they've attended the training sessions. Okay. And these would be people who have benefited from the services of the community first responders. So uh, they came and they were very interested in what was happening. Uh, on the day then, it's um, a family fun day and there'll be face painting, bouncy castles provided. Uh, there'll be lots of celebrities there. And um, if anyone wants to call out on the day, they're more than welcome. There is um, lots of ways that people can sponsor. They can give a donation on the day, their sponsorship cards. They can sponsor a half a lap or a lap. And it's all up on Facebook, all the information. And um, basically... How, how long is it going to take to push an ambulance for the duration of a marathon? Um few hours it will take hours um, <laughs> I it, mean it run, running an ordinary marathon it'll take about nine and a half ten hours <sighs> done in relay obviously everybody done in relay that's, that's a tough job to push an ambulance it's, yes it's um, you training training yes right. um, we've had access to um, the Mallow Driving uh, School uh, campus alright okay so uh, that was quite difficult but it was great training and we've also been out in the um, race course okay and basically it'll be in relays of four day. pushing it'll be, it'll be a, a great day and it's in a, in a good cause and you're fit out no bother to you listen enjoy we'll, we'll talk again about that uh, big push at Cork race course which is on the 27th of April we'll talk again uh, closer to the time thank you for that uh, Tony that's uh, Sergeant Tony Cronin at Malagar the station you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Keep your pet questions coming into us, please. 1850-333-103 because uh, Jane, our resident vet, will be answering your pet questions after half past 12 today. So if you've got a pet question, uh, get it in. Actually, there's a lovely story that's making all of the papers and it kind of starts on social media yesterday and it's to do with a little dog that jumped onto a train. I think it jumped onto the train in Salins and ended up in Houston Station in Dublin. A little lost uh, 
puppy well looked after much loved and I know they were talking about it like it appeared to be house trained and lovely little pup and they called it Hamish and they put it up on social media and they were you know trying to put inquiries and John Paul tells me that a number of people have now come forward claiming ownership of the dog now how that could be I don't know and how they're going to work out who actually owns Hamish will be another interesting one but it was one of those sweet little stories of this little dog on the uh, train and obviously if it was microchipped it would have been home straight away so I'm assuming that it wasn't uh, microchipped we might ask uh, Jane to talk about that on the programme today. Now let me go back to some of your thoughts and comments coming in Uh, drink driving and you couldn't help but be touched by Christina Donnelly when she talks about the loss of her uh, son and I think her description of feeling numb for so many years and then suddenly just in 2017 which would have been eight years after she lost Brendan just hit her like a bolt out of the blue and the the pain of that and just to hear her say she'd prefer the numb feeling you can kind of cope with the numb feeling you'll go through life almost slightly in a haze but you don't have to experience that intense loss of realising that your beloved son will never walk through that front door is never coming home again will never hug her on Mother's Day or give her a present for her birthday or just ring her up to say you know hi mom, how, how are you doing and the realisation of that and that unfortunately that her story is reflected by so many people all over the country who have lost uh, children through road traffic accidents and then if you find out after the event that it was caused because somebody had too much drink taken and just wasn't capable of getting behind the wheel of the car. It's just, it must just add to your pain and and that's why she's become such a great advocate and she's doing it in the hope that nobody else will have to go through, nobody else will have to walk in, in the shoes that she's been walking in now for nearly 10 years. Sandy says, I agree with no drinking, no driving after drink. As an early morning bus driver, I, I believe speed is a major problem. I meet high speed drivers in the middle of a narrow road rushing to work, resulting in broken mirrors damaged wings and several near misses. The new speed limiter that has been spoken about should save more lives than all of the NCTs, all of the penalty points and all of the drink driving laws put together. Bad roads and speeding drivers. That's what causes broken lives uh, equally equally put but are not held uh, responsible, well, not all are held responsible in court, says Sandy. The Road Safety Authority and people like Conor Faulkner and Barry Aldworth of the AA um, would agree with you and say speed, speed is a huge uh, problem. And Sandy also makes uh, the point that a lot of people actually agree with Finian McCarthy's. Philly McGrath's statement last weekend they might publicly come out and say it, but a lot of people uh, believe that the Gardaí are doing too many roadside breath tests in the morning. Sandy says his apology was for political survival and won't reflect what some people think of the amount of breath testing carried out which in my opinion says Sandy can't be sustained by low guard the numbers employed at the cost of not investigating other crime. Guard the numbers will have to increase substantially to get a grip on crime as shown by thefts of ATMs. That seems to be coming the real popular thing isn't it at the moment the increase in burglaries, sex crimes and shootings. We need more Gardaí. Uh, we do need more Gardaí and 
there's another story that's making the news and 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 my apologies to Maura because she sent in her text right in early this morning because we're actually um, talking about this uh, today on the uh, programme. Um, I heard on your news about new new guards who will be allowed to wear turbans. Um, are we, and they're doing this to facilitate are we doing this to facilitate their religion our country has become like a waste disposable unit we will take anything I'm not impressed if an Irish girl went to a Muslim country could she become a police officer there certainly not we have changed to facilitate them but they won't give an inch uh, I'm fit to get a stroke I'm so enraged by this story but oh my god I can't why because there's, there'll be no hospital available for me more in their job to look after the people that are sick than making a bigger mess of this place and this is the story and I'm wondering do others agree with that uh, texture this is the story that was I don't know if we're still running it we were certainly running it this morning it's the guard of the year to permit the wearing of turbans and the hijab uh, make it part of the Garda uniform. It's an effort to encourage more people from minority communities who we know live in this country. It's to encourage them to join the service. The new recruitment campaign is seeking to attract candidates from right across society to become members of Angarda Shikona. Now, although the number of recruits from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds has been increasing in recent years, Angarda Shikona remains in the large part an organisation that is predominantly full of white men and women who also, and I didn't realise this, predominantly come from an Irish Catholic background but they are mainly white men and women are members of Angarda Shia So this is this new recruitment campaign and it is entitled The Difference Is You and they're trying to say to people who are in minority communities who are living and have made Ireland their home they're trying to say to them would you not consider becoming a member of Angarda Shia Kona and, and because of religious and um, ethic requirements some people because of their religion wear a turban like the Sikh community for example they wear turbans and it's the Muslims who wear hijabs and once it's subject to health and safety and operational obligations they will be allowed a Sikh will be allowed to wear a turban a Muslim will be allowed to wear um, a hijab and it's been all it's been introduced or it's been suggested I'm, I'm assuming it has come from the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris he says the force needs to become more diverse to properly reflect the society in which it serves and it's focusing on people who might not have previously considered a career in the police force in Ireland and Gardaí also say that this new approach is in line with those adopted by the PSNI in Northern Ireland the New York NYPD police services in the UK if you're ever walking around uh, the United Kingdom you will see certainly you'll see Sikhs you'll see people with uh, turbans I don't know if I've come across a police officer while I've been visiting England wearing a hijab but I've certainly seen them wear the turbans so they are Sikhs I've seen it in Australia it's also in New Zealand and it is in Canada so the Minister for Justice Charlie Fanningham very, said very much welcome the Commissioner's decision to facilitate alterations to the Garda uniform on request to accommodate re- religious and ethnic diversity so as of now and with this new campaign and we'll probably get to see and hear a lot more about it the campaign is The Difference Is You 
members of the Sikh community and Muslims will be allowed if they get in. And they, I mean, obviously, they're going to have to pass everything, all the other criteria that you need to pass in order to become a member of Angarda Shikona. But they will be allowed to wear their turban or their uh, hijab. As I say, one listener uh, already this morning and said nearly had a heart attack when they heard it, nearly had a stroke, very much against it and against it on the view that if you went, that if we went to a Muslim country that and we wanted to join their police force, we would be forced, I suppose the opposite of it would be, we would be forced to um, wear the uh, hijab so it would be the opposite 1850 can I just give a mention to Sheila remember Sheila contacted us in the last hour with her dilemma about Easter cards and religious Easter cards and she can't, she's in for Moy and she says she can't get religious Easter cards anywhere well we had a flood of calls and texts and WhatsApps from people telling us where our Sheila can get the cards. Now, Helen and Kilwitz says Tesco in Mitchellstown has lots of Easter cards. They had lots of them last week. They may have lots of Easter cards, Helen, in Kilworth, but did you notice were they religious ones? Because Sheila says she's come across loads of Easter cards, but it's religious ones that she is looking for. Rita in Bandon said Farrell's in Bandon had a, have a large selection of cards. Michael says Vibes and Scribes on Bridge Street should have religious cards. Failing that, go to St. Augustine's on Washington Street. They will surely have religious cards for you. Mary in Canavy. It's a brilliant selection in Cotter's The Printers. They're on Main Street in McCroom. And Joan in Formoy, because uh, obviously I would, uh, if possible, I would like to find somebody selling religious cards as close to Sheila so she doesn't have to travel too far. So Joan in Formoy was on to say, Hanley's on Pierce Square in Formoy or Birmingham's. They usually have a great selection of cards. But Joan says, if they, if they don't have religious cards, religious Easter cards out, if you ask the staff, because maybe they could be in drawers, they just don't have them out on display. Even though Joan you would assume at this time of the year if they're trying to sell Easter cards they'd have all of their stock out but maybe maybe I'm wrong maybe they're, they're, they're still tucked away in a drawer so maybe it is worth asking some of your texts in on this the Sacred Heart Missionaries the Western Road in Cork for Holy Easter Cards you can actually go on their website great service says Liam get them delivered to the door. Hi Trish, for Sheila who's looking for the Easter cards. Oh, this is a lovely offer from Burr in Cork City. She said I could make her some depending on how many she needs. That's a very kind offer on behalf of Burr. And Dan said, would she get those holy cards in the parish centre on Main Street in Mallow? I don't know. My answer to that is simply, I don't know. I, I, do, do the parish centre sell cards? And is there a parish centre in Formoy where she lives? If there is, maybe they sell cards. Maybe she could check that out. And some of your WhatsApps in on this. Hi Trish, you can get religious Easter cards in St. Anthony's stores. Where's St. Anthony's stores? It's on Leacham Street in the city. Thank you, Catherine. Now, this one surprised me. But somebody says, morning to you, Eurogiant. They're one of the discount stores. They're all over Cork. They have got great holy Easter cards. Try one of the discount stores. Thank you for that. Uh, hi to uh, to Sheila and everybody else looking for good holy Easter cards. Vibes and scribes are uh, in Cork City. Certainly have them. And Peter O'Sullivan's shop in Skibbereen is another suggestion. And they have lovely holy Easter cards. So thank you. Just a sample of the cause. So there are a lot of car- a lot of places still selling 
holy cards for Easter because poor old Sheila was saying where did Holy Catholic Ireland go when I wasn't looking 1850 with a reminder that we're looking for your pet questions please uh, you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie St Nicholas's Brass Band are performing in concert in St Finbar's Cathedral at 8 o'clock tonight there will be a guest choir who will join them tickets available at the door Kildallery Community Development they're holding their weekly lotto draw in Walsh's Bar that's on tonight uh, the jackpot there is €1,300 Euro. Tyke Murphy will present his programme in the music room in Boherbui tonight at 8 all are welcome especially newcomers to an evening of music to suit all tastes and a coffee morning in aid of the Cork Simon community will be held tomorrow morning at Kearney Centre in Ballydesmond from 9am to 2pm you're asked to please support and a baby and toddler market will be held in Skibbereen GAA Pavilion next Saturday from 11am to 4pm you can buy and sell good quality pre-loved baby and toddler items what a terrific idea with all of the proceeds going to Skibbereen Community Playgroup sellers can contact Cleona if you have anything you'd like to sell you can register your items at 086 358 Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, just some reaction to the news that Gardaí are to be permitted to wear turbans or hijabs as part of the Gardaí uniform. Uh, what the Drew Harris is trying to do, the Gardaí commissioner, he's trying to encourage more people from minority in communities here to join the uh, service. Um, if the hijab, this is a texter saying, if the hijab are, includes a garment or portion of the garment covering the face with only the eyes showing, well that would be the burqa, that would be different, then I wouldn't be in agreement. A turban would make absolutely no difference at all. As long as the member of Angarda Siakona are second generation Irish citizens and not immigrants. Uh, not citizens of other countries then, says this texter. I certainly would welcome them. Uh, others saying, totally agree with your original texter. I think this is a wrong move. Uh, Betty says, I think it's wonderful. It shows how we've moved on as an Irish society. We should have people of uh, ethnic minorities because they're living here. They should be represented in Angarda Corner. John O'Donovan uh, joins me from the city. Good afternoon, John. Afternoon. Uh, you'd be against it. Totally. I agree with the first text you read out there, 100%. Um, if you want to join, I'm all for people joining from different ethnic backgrounds and whatever, right? I've no problem seeing a coloured garden cock, seeing a Chinese garden cock, seeing someone from the Middle East, whatever. But the uniform is the uniform is the uniform, Patricia, right? Yeah. You're going to have the majority dressed in the standard uniform, a minority then dressed in hijabs and dressed in turbans. And I think it will feed in to the, which there is a level of racism in every country, but it's here as well, and we know that, right? And there is a perception out there by some people that, look, where there's too many people coming in. I don't believe in the open borders, and a lot of people, like, are very vocal on that. They feel that there's too many people coming in. We're changing too fast for the small country. 
And this, to me, is going to feed into racism and going to cause problems. Because you can imagine some guy wearing a turban, right, trying to arrest a couple of scangles on the Saturday night that are kicking off, right? The minute he appears on the scene, the other girls are going to have a ferocious problem protecting that individual because he will be targeted. The same with a female girl if she's wearing the hijab. I think will cause massive problems. And I think I have great respect for Duhalas because the force was in a bad way when he took over, either corruption or whatever. But I think this is a wrong idea. I think it will feed into racism and cause huge problems for the individuals that will be wearing this kind of setup. But will it, I mean, we have minority communities living in this country. Will it not help with the policing of the minority communities? And will the minority communities not, would they not feel, if they needed to report something to a member for Garda Shikona, would they not feel more comfortable if it was a Sikh, for example, speaking to somebody who's wearing the turban because they will identify as a Sikh? Well, the way I look at this, look, there's a standard uniform there. And again, the first point, the majority are going to be wearing dress one way and then we have a minority then allowed to dress another way, right? I don't agree with it, Patricia. I think it will cause problems. Look, if I don't care what ethnic background or what colour you are, right? Wear the standard uniform the same as everybody else. Other countries and do it, though. I'm, lo- I'm just looking at a picture of a police officer in... Britain, uh, and he's got the hijab on. I know he's got. Sorry, he's got a um, a turban, the turban yeah. on, and yeah. and they they've actually done it in such a way it's black, so it's the very same colour as the police officer standing next to him, and they actually have the symbol, the emblem that they would wear in the middle of the turban. Well, you see, look, you're talking about the Lake of England and London, like you mean, metropolitan area where there's, uh, you know, huge population, right? This is a small country. We're still trying to come to terms, Patricia, with the amount uh, of change uh, that has happened here with the way the demographics of the country and that a lot of people are coming and they're welcome, like I mean, most of them, apart from the people trying to rip us off. But the fact is, like, I think this will feed into this. Oh, there's too much of a change. It's happening too quick. Uh, like, and... If you want to join the girls, we understand the uniform and you will be accepted. Otherwise, it will cause problems. OK, well, it is. It's coming in. It's a new, there's a new campaign and the new campaign is entitled The Difference Is You. Now, will they get candidates? Only time will tell. Somebody else is making the point. Uh, will the new guards, will the new members of Garda Corner, will they have to do an Irish language test? Well, I'm assuming if there is an Irish language test there already for other candidates, then yes, they will. They'll have to meet the criteria for everything else. All right, John, listen, thank, thank you, you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Keep your pet questions coming, please, because Jane is uh, going to be joining us. Uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet. Now, the Cancer Connect, we spoke earlier today with the mayor of Cork County. Patrick uh, Jared Murphy and he was talking about his fundraising that's going on this weekend and it's a, it's an event that's hap- that happens every single year the mayor hosts an event and uh, they're having it in Bantry which I think is fantastic that they're taking it out of the I have all the details somewhere in front of me but you think whenever I go to look for them I can't find them they are having a, an 80s charity night it's going to be held in the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry and it's happening on this Saturday night and it's an aid of three great cha- charities Cancer Connect Cork Arc and Co action. So our reporter Fiona Corkin went to Cancer Connect offices uh, yesterday because she wanted to find out a little bit more about the service. They now have 140 volunteer drivers covering all of West Cork. They're now covering parts of North Cork and they're hoping eventually to expand to parts of East Cork. And Fiona went along uh, yesterday to chat with them and she started by speaking with the coordinator uh, Helen O'Driscoll. I'm Helen O'Driscoll and I'm the Cancer Connect coordinator. 
And how long have you been doing this job? Um, since it began, uh, 2011 it began, and I was here in Local Link at that point. So I've been involved in it ever since. Volunteer drivers, I mean, Neely was saying there, there's up to about 150 just in, in Cork. So you, your job is to coordinate all of those drivers. Are a lot of them maybe cancer survivors, like Winnie was saying? Um, you know, I think the majority of people have a link to cancer, be it they've been through it themselves and come out the other side, or be it somebody in their family has dealt with cancer, or they've been involved in transport locally. There's so many people travelling up into Cork hospitals, and there's been there had been so many networks of people travelling and bringing neighbours and friends in cars. It was happening on the ground, and I think they kind of came together with us and did the driving. So whether they had cancer themselves or not, they certainly nearly all had a link to it, you know. And have you noticed an increase in the amount of patients who are contacting you looking for the service? Um, yeah, I suppose I have. Now, that's not necessarily because there's more people diagnosed. You know, we don't get involved in the medical side. I think more people know about Cancer Connect. More people are trusting Cancer Connect. You know, when a service is new initially, they might be slow to get involved in a community service. Um, but there are so many people involved with us, as both Winnie and Neely have said, through fundraising, through driving, through using the service. Word of mouth is spreading, so our numbers are building. So it's not necessarily a negative indicator. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's a positive thing, actually, that it's becoming such a grounded service and it's so available in the local community that people are tapping into it more. So while we have more passengers using it, we also have more volunteers driving it and we also have more volunteers fundraising for it. So it's all a very positive movement in that sense, you know. And do you need more volunteer drivers? drivers or are you okay with the amount that you have? <laughs> no, that's a very big yes. We'll always take volunteer drivers. Um, we're we're very, um, uh, in terms of geography, we cover a huge area. So we used to just have West Cork, we have North Cork as well. Ideally, we'd have a huge panel of drivers in every town and village in our area, simply because if somebody's going for radiotherapy, they're travelling every day. If somebody's going for chemo, they might be travelling weekly. But we also cover things like doctor's appointments and scans. Um, We don't like to rely hugely on single volunteers because it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of pressure, you know, to make sure your passenger is safe and sound. So if we can ask one day a month of a volunteer, it means that that they'll stay with us and that they'll enjoy the service. If we have a large panel of volunteers, it means we can depend on a large panel of people. So we're always looking for volunteers, absolutely. The more we have, the easier it is for me to say yes to somebody when they ring and they say, look, I have an appointment tomorrow, I've just got notice, I can't get into Cork. And I can say, well, we have a panel in your area and we know that they're available. So it makes life very easy in the office, certainly in terms of just saying a yes and that's all people need to hear when they ring they don't need to go into what they're going through how they're dealing with cancer what supports or what appointments they have they just need to book you know it just needs to be very clear and very simple so if somebody rings and says i have to be in tomorrow i can say okay so the more volunteers i have the more i can say okay so my long answer to your question is yes we always need more and if somebody does want to become a volunteer driver or if somebody is a cancer patient and needs transport to cuh do, how do they get in contact with you guys? They just pick up the phone. There's no referrals needed or there's no third parties. They just pick up the phone. Um, I'm in the office. Julie is in the office. We have a, a large staff in here anyway. Um, but they ring. If they want to be a volunteer, they fill in a form for us. There's a small bit of paperwork at the start and that's it. So we sign them up and then we give them their day per month. Or, you know, we, we, we I suppose we're very flexible with the drivers and we decide with them what way to work at best. But we generally book them in then for one day a month. In terms of passengers, we take their name, address and phone number and that's it. They give us their schedule either then and there. They can say I'm going up every three weeks or they can ring one appointment at a time. So it's very easy and we try and keep it easy because nobody, 
wants to add to a passenger's burden they're going through enough in terms of the medical side of things so we just keep the booking system very very straightforward so pick up the phone ring us in Bantry 027 527 Well what an incredible service that's Eleanor Driscoll who's the coordinator for Cancer Connect and when Fiona Corcoran our reporter was there yesterday she also spoke with Winnie O'Sullivan who is a volunteer driver and she asked her why she became a volunteer driver Roughly about two years ago um, why I'm a cancer survivor myself and now I didn't use the service when I was going for treatment um, I was lucky enough to have family and friends that brought me up every day for treatment um, because you're not in a frame of mind to do the driving yourself you really are not you know once you're diagnosed with cancer there's nothing else in your head only cancer treatment treatment cancer um, so it's great to have that support I always said when I retired I would drive for Cancer Connect and it's not it's not a big demand I mean we only drive about once a month um, you get notice you get plenty of notice from Helen here you know if, if you can do it you, that's fine if you can't do it that's fine also you're under no pressure to do it but it's it's a lovely thing to be able to do because the people like Neely said the they really do appreciate what you do um, and I'm not saying that you know we're great to be doing it or anything like that it's just that you feel there are people that wouldn't, it would be difficult otherwise to go to a hospital, to get to the hospital and get to their treatment. The last thing they want to do is be worrying about looking for a bus or watching the time for a bus because hospitals, and they do cater very well for the, the people that go by with Cancer Connect, but hospitals don't run, you know, specifically on, on time all the time. So you could possibly miss the time, miss your bus or something like that. So it's great. You have, when they're finished their treatment, they just give you a call and you're, go to the hospital and you pick them up and bring them home wherever they wherever they're going to as you've gone through what they're going through at the minute do you think as well that an an additional part of the service that you can provide to them is a support in the car and talk to them about what they're going through it is actually um because most of the people i would know but there are people i wouldn't know and you know when you get to it's kind of i would i would generally say yes i've a cancer survivor myself and it would put them at ease they know then what you've been through and if they want to talk about it that's fine if they don't that's fine too um but they feel then they can identify with you or that i can identify with them um so yeah it's definitely a plus i well i think it is um but it's you know you can relate to what because as i say there's nothing in your head only cancer and treatment and treatment and cancer it's it's all consuming it really is and um you know maybe on the way back they're after their day's treatment and they're tired or they you know the longer they're having their treatment the build-up of treatment you're you're tired you you're not in top form and I'd always say to them, you know, if you want, if you, if you want to close your eyes and lean back, you know, if you, do, you don't have to talk all the way home again, you can just uh, take it easy. And they appreciate that. But usually we chat away the whole way. What an incredible lady that is Winnie O'Sullivan, one of the volunteer drivers with uh, Cancer Connect and long, long may Cancer Connect uh, continue and we all have an opportunity to support through the Mayor's Charity Night. There are a few tickets left. It is an 80s night in the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry and it sounds like it's going to be a cracker, an absolute cracker of a night. Some of your texts coming in, uh, keep your calls and texts coming in for... uh, 
pet questions for Jane, please. But this is on overcrowding in CUH. Good morning, Patricia. In relation to overcrowding at CUH, I was a patient at the A&E department at Cork University Hospital last year. I went in by ambulance. I was on a trolley in the infamous or famous corridor, whatever way you want to look at it. It looked very quiet on that particular occasion. And I passed comment to a member of staff as to why it was so quiet that night, as I was expecting it to be mayhem. And I was expecting there to be huge overcrowding. The staff member said, oh, that's because there was a high profile visit of some sort earlier that day. The majority of trolleys with patients were moved to an upstairs room out of the way while the visit took place. I was shocked to hear this. I wonder on whose instruction this massaging of trolley numbers took place and does it happen every time a ministerial visit is on the cards regards a rather mystified uh, North Cork uh, listener and on the wearing of the hijab and turbans by members of Garda Shia and this new campaign that Drew Harris has decided to introduce not everybody very happy with it oh Patricia joined the Gardaí by all accounts but please wear what everybody else is wearing that is the safest way to do it you can't compare us to the United Kingdom because at the end of the day the United Kingdom is part of the Commonwealth it is a very different country Audrey said I think all Garda dress code everybody should wear the very same uniform and a final one a listener says the country's gone mad are the Saudi police wearing kilts or would they ever consider wearing kilts? I think your answer to that question is absolutely no. Uh, that's for sure. And just Mary says, Patricia, just a comment on the the Garda Shia welcoming people of other communities into the force. I wanted to join the force way back in the day. And I went to get measured for my height as there was a height restriction at the time. I measured in at five and a half feet and I wasn't uh, five feet, seven and a half inches and I wasn't tall enough. So times have changed, says uh, Mary. The height restriction, God, you, you, was it five foot eight they were looking for at the time? So were you saying you were a half an inch out? Oh, bless your heart. And if you'd set your heart on becoming a member of Garda Chicana, to lose it on that re- reason must have been quite soul-destroying. Soul Hopefully you went on to have a different and uh, another career and things like that happen for a reason. But height restrictions, I know, certainly has been removed. Um, now, there has to be a level of fitness and all of that, but height restriction, I think, I, I think if it didn't get removed, it certainly got lowered. It certainly got uh, lowered. Uh, 1850-333-103. Let me take a very quick break and we're back with uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, answering your pet question. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Jane Pickett, our resident vet from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins us. Uh, good afternoon to you. Hi there. Uh, we were talking about the little dog on the train uh, earlier that jumped on the train. I think it was in Salons and ended up in Houston Station and it's the last dog. And now John Paul tells me, because it went viral yesterday and a lot of the papers picked up on it, cutest little, little, oh. little dog. And they would be looked after by Ian Rodeo and staff. But mm-hmm. now a host of people have come forward to say that's my dog that's my dog now they've got the Mm -hmm. dilemma of trying to work out whose dog it is Mm -hmm. but the first thing I thought when I saw it if that dog had been chipped we wouldn't have any of this dilemma No there would be no question it's the perfect solution and that's why we always really really strongly recommend to get your pets microchipped whether they be dogs or even although it's a little bit less common in this country cats as well we can chip cats Um, that is always the problem I think it's just everybody if they see a lost dog and if perhaps they've lost a, a dog in the last you know, few months or years that fits a very similar description. Our minds are very good at trying to place hope. Um, so I, I think it 
comes from a good place all of these people coming forward it's probably just they're hopeful it's their own but dog. I also think as well I think it's yeah. a cute pup it's that, a but pup. it went viral I think a lot of people would like to would like to are hoping, adopt I, cl- I claim this I, I will we'll keep an eye on the story because I'll be very interested to yeah. work out how they work out who does mm. who actually does mm-hmm. uh, own the uh, dog and I know I had a family member of mine who relocated from England came back to Ireland to live and they brought their cats uh, with them and thank God for microchipping because one of the cats was a bit of a wanderer took mm-hmm. a little while to settle and three or four times had to be returned but because it was microchipped it got yeah. returned and it's, eventually settled You so know it's it one of the most satisfying things that we have when a pet comes in although we're very sad it's lost but when you get that little beep of your microchip scanner and you realise it has a chip you just have this wave of relief And then you, you can ring straight yeah. away And it's so quick Okay question for Jane please I have a six month old sheep dog puppy don't want her having pups would I need to get her to a vet soon thanking you the answer is yes, definitely. I think it's a really good responsible decision if you know you don't want pups from your dog. Um, I would advise the absolute best thing to do is to get her spayed. It's great for her health long term. And we do have a kind of a body of evidence that if we do spay dogs before they're about a year old, even before their first season, that it can reduce their risk of having mammary cancer, so breast cancer later on in life. So we know that early spaying is a really good thing. So it has some knock-on health benefits like that, but also it does the main job of avoiding them ha- getting pregnant and having puppies. Um, and that can that can be a really great thing. I think there's a huge amount of unwanted pups, sadly, all over the country purely because dogs may have been caught and had a little bit of an accident and, mm-hmm. and, and produced a litter of pups. And although they're very cute, it's, it's, it's a massive problem. An overpopulation of unwanted dogs is, is is a real real problem and it really reduces the welfare of the population of dogs in the country so I would say yes pop her to your vet have a good chat with your vet about what will the what the procedure will entail um, they'll be able to kind of put in your, your mind at rest and answer any questions you have um, and then I think it's and really it's a he so it's, 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 it's a he it's easier isn't it on ah, the if it's a he yeah. I, was, I was thinking it was a, a she as it were with the guys actually around six months is perfect timing as well for guys and girls six months is perfect um, for dogs with the guys it is quite a, oh a sorry I'm just realising that's a separate text there's a ah, sheep, okay, there's we a have sheep two. dog oh, we can there's, talk there, about them together there's a sheep dog pop a male that needs to be neutered as ah, well Okay. so for the ladies it is a that's little a bit of a bigger operation yeah. okay? okay but that said we try and keep them really comfortable afterwards and I think the important thing with both the guys and the girls after their operation is to have a, a good period of recuperation so normally your vet will recommend um, a period of anywhere between kind of 10 to 14 days of recuperation and that means generally complete rest and just on very short on the lead walks now that's to allow us to recover fully and for the wound to heal properly I think it's very we, we're very good at overestimating their ability sometimes when they come out of their operation the vast majority of the time they're so bouncy and excited about things they just bounce back so well in comparison to humans that we we forget that they're healing from an operation and I think the temptation is to let them do too much now that can backfire massively because they do need that recuperation period or it can lead to complications with the wound whether that be infection or the stitches coming out so it's really important to kind of obey your vet's instructions as regards the the post-operative care because that's really essential but um, I think it's a really responsible decision six months of age for both the males and the females is perfect okay, time okay. and actually there was a question in about a cat as well uh, somebody has a young cat uh, and is one well the question is what's the cut off point, point to get a cat spayed so I'm assuming they're wondering the you know the, the younger age uh, again a cat can get pregnant very quickly very quickly okay so with cats um, I think the vast majority of vets in the country will probably say around five or six months is perfect 
Okay. okay. Um, they can be neutered a little bit earlier sometimes, um, but it, they are very small at that point. So the operation can sometimes be a little bit more complex. Okay. So cats sometimes can can have the ability, depending on how well they develop and how quickly they develop, to have kittens from about four months onwards, there or thereabouts. So I would say any time from four months onward, but discuss it with your vet as to their preference and what they what and they prefer. And urban myth that you should let her have a litter of kittens. Absolute urban myth. Yeah. And that goes yeah. for dogs as well. Is it okay? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. They don't know any different and they get more benefit if you can spay them before their first litter. Again, this is all, yeah. the, all the health. Exactly. Um, okay, hi Trish, could you please ask uh, Jane Yvette, what is an appropriate time to leave an indoor cat alone? As my daughter is thinking of getting a cat, but sometimes she's away overnight. Thanking you. So Mary's thinking of the cat on her own overnight. <laughs> I think this is really dependent on the cat, but also your housing situation a little bit and also the cat's kind of lifestyle. So in the normal run of events, I wouldn't really advise any pets being left alone um, for more than, let's say, four or five hours at a time. OK, mm-hmm. um, certainly with dogs, they need a lot of attending to now cats are maybe a little bit of a different breed. OK, mm-hmm. so they are kind of quite independent in their own way. Now, if your cat is used to being left alone for periods and it is kind of quite an independent carrier character, kind of goes off on her own and, you know, does her own thing, relaxes, is very laid back, um, then I would say it may well be okay to leave her overnight, but you would have to judge the situation very carefully and ensure that there was somebody around that could keep an eye on the cat perhaps and make sure that it was okay in your absence. So maybe just kind of getting in touch with a friendly neighbour making sure they're okay to pop their head in the door and making sure things are okay. Or maybe, I don't know if Mary lives close enough to the daughter's house that she would be able to go and and, and, and check check in. Exactly. But But cats are definitely way better than dogs for managing on their own. They really are. They're incredibly independent. Yeah. They, I think a lot of the time they just think they rule the roost a little bit um, and we're we're a minor inconvenience that provides food sometimes. Um, whereas dogs are very different. They are very kind of people, 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 if you know what I mean. They're yeah. very, very human centric. So I think they, they would be very upset perhaps if they were left Yeah, I mean if it's an odd night that a daughter's away the cat yeah. will survive whereas a dog would be no, no. You'd be, you'd be, I, I be trying be to find someone, someone to look after the dog Maureen says um, could Jane recommend a device to scare oncoming dogs for example if you're out walking and a dog is coming towards you and you're on your own is there a device to scare them something that won't harm them but just that they won't come near you so obviously Maureen is afraid of dogs Mm. This is a really difficult one because I, you find it like you might be walking along the road and I've had it happen to me as well. You might be walking along the road and a dog is coming toward you and it's probably just going about its daily business, puddling around a little bit. But you don't know whether that dog's going to be aggressive or scared of you or just be very normal and want to come and say hello. And it is that uncertainty which causes a problem. And particularly for those people who might be a little bit wary around the dogs, that's that's even more of an issue. Now, what I would say is... If it's a, a usual place that you're walking in and you know that there's a dog there that potentially is maybe not the most savoury character towards you and is pre- perhaps just protecting his home, giving a little bark, um, as long as he's staying inside his property and not kind of not coming out to you, you're probably mm. fairly safe as long as you've kind of left in his mind the threat is gone do you know what I mean um, so I would just, just carry on about your business and try not to pay too much attention but make sure you're keeping yourself safe what I would say is if you are walking a particular area and you know that that dog comes out and it scares you a little bit maybe just have a little word with the owners if you happen to see them in the garden in this lovely sunny weather say oh I'm just wondering like how how is your dog with strangers you know I often find that he just barks a little bit and 
sometimes that can put your mind at rest a little bit if they say oh he's just very you know his bark is worse than his bite you know what I mean yeah. but as for a device I think our lovely postman that we had on last week yeah. he was talking about that ultrasonic device I've done Works. a little bit of reading and since. he said it worked for some but not for not others not for others yeah. and we talked a little bit about maybe that might be something to do with the aging and the frequencies we can hear and perhaps between different breeds there might be some changes but I think maybe that's a solution it might be and able where to, are they available from I had a little look they're all over the internet and what are they called oh they're like ultrasonic Sonic dog, dog repellers. Dog repellers. Yeah. Okay, I've got to leave it there. Over on time. Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week, uh, Jane. And we'll talk again next week. That is Jane uh, Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Talk to you tomorrow at ten. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend. The weekend by turning up the feel good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of feel good greatest hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel good Friday only on C103. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.